good morning and welcome to each one. It is a blessing to be here and I want to thank you once again for your prayers and your texts. They have meant a lot to me. Um, I'm finding this to be a challenging part of this um, calling and uh, just appreciate your support. The message that I have to share this morning um, fits right in with the Sunday School lesson, and I didn't look at the Sunday School lesson before I, uh, before it, what I have to share was laid on my heart, but um, I was just, I was uh, kind of amazed at how well it fits together. The title of my message is, this morning, is Why Worry? I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is the Lord is the Sermon on the Mount, and the passage I would like to look at is right in the middle of it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his statue? So why do you worry about, your, about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the, gr the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we come to you once again asking for your presence to be here, to guide us, to direct us. We commit this time to you. We thank you for your word. We pray that you will open it up to us, that we can learn, that we can grow, that we can become more like Jesus. Just guide us and direct us, we pray in his name. Amen. On February 24, just 11 short days ago, Putin sent his armies into the neighboring country of Ukraine. And he, it's a little unclear about what his objectives are there, but what we do know is that it is rapidly, the war is rapidly accelerating, and things are continuing, the conflict is continuing to grow. And I know that that war is thousands of miles away. But any time I believe there's war, it brings a lot of uneasiness to us and uncertainty. 
And we don't know what's going to happen. Ukraine is not a member of NATO. It's not a part of the, that 30 group of uh, that group of 30 nations. But many of the neighboring countries around there, Poland and Romania and others, are a part of NATO. And if, if the war would spread and there would be attacks on one of those countries of NATO, Article 5 of that says that any attack on an ally is an attack on all. And so if there would be an attack on one of those countries, the United States could quickly, very quickly, be drawn into a conflict. And um, I think, you know, as we think back to the Cold War, and that was a bit before my time, it was maybe on the tail end of it, but there was a lot of fear about what could happen if there was a conflict between the United States and Russia. I find that Jesus' words here in this passage are very fitting for us today. He says to us, do not worry, or do not be anxious. And so often, we are easily bogged down with worry. And I believe that worry is a sin. Worry is a, is, can really cause a lot of trouble in our lives. And for some people, this is more of a struggle than others. Some of us tend to worry. Others maybe tend to be a little more um, carefree. But what is worry? How would we define worry? The dictionary defines worry as a verb, and that is to give way to anxiety or unease, to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. Worry is also a noun, a state of anxiety and uncertainty over actual or potential problems. Now, I think we should probably make a distinguish here, di uh, difference here between worry and concern. There are things about the future that we don't know about. There, we have unanswered questions. What's going to happen down the road? And out of that, I think there is concern. There's honest concern. And I don't know that there's anything wrong with that. But worry is different. Worry has a strangling effect on our lives. And really, if we look at it, worry has its roots in unbelief and not, in not trusting in God. I'd like to look at this passage and give several reasons why Jesus tells us we should not worry. And then I'd like to look at the antidote at the end. The first reason that I see here that Jesus gives is in verse 25. He says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What he's saying here is one reason we should not worry is because life is more than just the here and now. Life, especially life in Christ, has an eternal perspective to it. He says to us, don't worry. Don't worry about your life. Life is a gift that God gives to us. We don't choose when we're born. We don't choose where we're born. But we are given life. And you were placed here, here in the Shenandoah Valley, here at this time in, in history. 
And you did not have a choice necessarily about where you were born or when you would be born. Some of you have moved into this area, and I'm not speaking about that, but here you are today. And God knows um, those things, and he also chooses when we will die. So he chooses when we will be born and when we will die. Some of us may live a long time. We may live till we're old, like Apostle John. And some of us may die at a young age. Some of us may die an untimely death. We don't know. But why worry about that? Why worry about the things that we don't have control over? God knows how the, the span of our lives, and he knows how to sustain it. He also says here to not worry about the things we eat and what we should put on. And for, for, for Jesus' audience that day, I believe that this was a large concern of theirs. Providing for their daily needs took up a large portion of their day. Um, and life in Palestine was probably not very easy. Um, but even in spite of that, Jesus gives the command to these people to not worry about the temporal things. He says there are more important things than the next meal and the next pair of clothes that you're going to put on. And for us today, I don't know if you are at this place where things are hard to come by. You may be at a lean time in your life, and you may not know where the next meal will come from. And you may not have closets full of clothes. But I think for the most of us, we have plenty. We have plenty of food. We have freezers full of food. And we have closets full of clothes. But yet... I think Jesus' words are, the, are, the, are for us today as well. Life is more than just these temporal things. These things are just passing, and we, re, we should not focus on these temporal things. We are tempted so often in our world to get nicer and nicer clothes and to get better and better food. I believe Jesus says to us, life is more than those things. The things of this earth are passing, but we need to take care of our eternal soul that will live forever. Jesus says to us, do not worry about your life. The second thing I see in this passage for a reason why we should not worry is that we have a heavenly father that knows our needs. He says to us, in verse um, 32, he says, For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. And he points them to the birds and the flowers and how that God provides for them. And one thing as we think about the birds, the birds have to play their part in that, right? They have to go and find their food. But what, what he is teaching here is that they don't worry about it. They, they, they must do their part, but they don't have to worry about it. And he asked the question of how much more value are you than birds? And the answer is, of course, you're worth much more than birds or flowers. 
you're a child of the king. But I think at the same part, on the same part token, we must do our part. God does not just throw the food to us. He, we, must do, we must be diligent. We must work hard. Martin Luther said, for, for he, speaking of God, for he wants none of those who neither care nor work like lazy, gluttonous bellies, as if they only had to sit and wait for him to send a roasted goose into their mouths. But his command is that we honestly lay hold and work, and when he will, then he will be on hand with his blessing and give enough. The point here is that we have a Heavenly Father, and he knows what we need. The third thing I see as a reason why we should not worry is in verse 27. And that says, which of you, by adding, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? How much good will worry do us? Will it do us anything? How many, he's asking a question here, how many of you can add a foot and a half to your, to your height by sitting there worrying about it? There's certain things in life that we can't change. We can't change how tall we are. We can't change um, how we look or um, some of these things. But worrying about the unchangeable things of life won't do a thing to change them. And I think that instead of adding to our life, uh, we really, it actually can do a lot of harm. Worrying about things is contribute contributes a lot to disease and heart poor health high blood pressure heart disease headaches and strokes can all come from worrying too much and I'll, those are just physical things but what happens to us spiritually when we worry what does it do to our spiritual lives i believe that worrying can cause us to lose our peace with god and can hinder our fellowship with him. The fourth thing I see as a reason we should not worry is that in verse 32, and that says, For after all these things the Gentiles seek. What I see there is that worry is a characteristic of the worldly man, of the Gentile, of the one that's not a part of the family of God. That Worry is a characteristic of that man. The man of this world is consumed with the things of this earth, about the temporal, about food and clothes. Adam Clark said, The belly and the back of the worldling are his compound God, and these he worships in the lust of the flesh and in the lust of the eye and in the pride of life. But shouldn't it be different for the child of God? Shouldn't we, as his children, trust him? Trust is knowing that God knows about the things that we need. Does God know about the things that you need in your life? Yes, he does. Does he care about those things? Yes, he does. Does he have the ability to provide those things that you need? Yes, he does. God knows. God cares. And God can provide those things for us. I'd like to look now at the antidote for, for worry that he, we see in verse 33. 
he says here, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. He wants us not only to put away worry, put away that, but he wants us to replace it with a concern for the kingdom of God. I'd like to look at this verse word by word and break it down a little bit. The first word we see here is seek, but seek. What does it mean to seek? When you seek for something, it is to look for something that is not immediately evident. Maybe it's hidden somewhere and you don't know where it's at. For, a, for an illustration of, of this, um, I'd like to look at Luke 2. Verses 41 through 50. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. This is talking about Jesus' parents. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days, they returned, as they returned, the boy lingered. The boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. So that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding. And answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Mary and Joseph lost their son, and they were distressed about it. And they went back to Jerusalem seeking him. They put the effort in. They, they went about. And I'm sure they were praying and asking and inquiring, finding, seeking Jesus. And Jesus says, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? Wasn't he here already at 12 years old seeking first the kingdom of God? But the word we're looking at here is seek. And to seek means to put in effort, to put in the work. Seeking takes diligence. And it also implies that you will only seek for the things that you really care about. If you don't care about them, if you don't really long for it, you're not going to put the effort into it. And so for us to seek first the kingdom of God, we're going to have to truly care about it and long for it. A second word we see here, and I'm borrowing this from the King James Version because it's, it's implied in the New King James, but it's not in there, and that's seek ye. Seek ye. And I know everybody knows what the word ye means, but it's, it is a point worth making. You have to put in the effort. You have to be intentional about it. You have to do the work. 
And maybe more importantly, you have to desire it and long for it. I can't do that for you, and you can't do it for me. Each one of us personally has to take this challenge. Seek ye the kingdom of God. It is up to us individually. The third word we see here is seek ye first. Seek ye first. Well, what does the word first mean? If you think about the word first, it gives the idea of there being a whole list of things, but this one has to come first. It's the primary one. It's the top of the list. You can't do the rest without doing this first. And I thought about a, an illustration from, from my line of work, and that is when you're milking cows, you have to first prep the cow. You can't just go throw on the milker. It just don't work very well that way. You have to prep the cow. You have to do that first. You have to do this before the rest. It's vitally important. And it doesn't say that, it's not saying that the other things that come later are not important. It's just saying that this is the most important thing. We have to do this first. Chapter 7, just a few verses later, he uses this word first again when he says, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your eye. Hypocrite, first remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Oh, I'm sorry, I messed up there. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. He's not saying that it's not important to remove a speck from your brother's eye. That is important, but you've got to take care of this first. And I think the challenge for us here is we need to get the kingdom of God first in our lives. So often we are tempted to let the temporal the mundane things of our lives take first place in our lives. And he's saying, but first, seek ye first the kingdom of God. I believe this is making the kingdom of God the main and the principal design of our lives. And I think it's in, in seeking first the kingdom of God, we will find the greatest fulfillment and joy. The next few verses here in this, word, in this verse, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? How do we seek first the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God, as I would define it, is the realm of people of which God's will is fulfilled. And it was Jesus' first message when he came to this earth was to, was to introduce the kingdom of God. And I think it was his main objective here on this earth was to set up the kingdom of God here on this earth. And Jesus came, yes, he came to die on the cross for us, but it was all for the purpose of bringing people into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is also, it's not just its people, but it's about its beliefs and its practices of those who are part of it. When we are part of the kingdom of God, 
we will, we will be different than the, those of this world. We will think different. We will act different. Yes, we'll even dress and conduct ourselves differently than the kingdom of this world. We have a different king that we want to please, that we want to live for. So the kingdom of God is that group of people who seek to do the will of God. It says, the next few verses say, his righteousness. We are to seek his righteousness. And I have to confess that when I hear this term, his righteousness, sometimes it's one of those biblical terms that I struggle to understand. What does it mean, righteousness? We have the word righteousness is used a lot in scriptures. And sometimes it's given as a command. You should do this. You should follow after righteousness. Like in Timothy it says, follow after righteousness. In 1 John it says, he that doeth righteousness is born of God. And he that doeth righteousness is righteous. Then other times when it talks about righteousness, it talks about it being a gift or being an heir of righteousness. So what is it? Is it something we're given or is it something that we do? Sometimes I think I struggle with trying to figure that out. But when we think about righteousness, we really need to think about God. God is the essence of righteousness. God is holy in character. God never fails. God never does anything wrong. Psalms 11, 7 says, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. And I think that as we think about this thing of righteousness, it is God who is righteous. But he also desires righteousness to be reflected in the lives of his children. God wants you. God wants me to be righteous. He wants us to live in holiness. And I believe that when an unrighteous and unholy wicked man comes to God in faith and repentance, God delights in taking that man and washing him in the blood and declaring him righteous. That is God's delights to do that. And I think it's then out of that place of righteousness, God gives him the grace and the desire and, yes, the ability to live a righteous life. And no, we're not going to do it perfectly. We're not going to be completely sinless and holy like God is. But for the righteous man, for the man who is following after righteous, he is going to repent and to continue to follow after righteousness. He is going to seek his righteousness. God is going to continue to change our hearts, change our minds, change our, and help us to seek to do his will. And I believe that as we do this, we are seeking his righteousness. So, the antidote for worry is to seek the kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To not be consumed with the temporal things in life. To not be preoccupied with just the passing things. It's to live with an eternal perspective. To live recognizing 
that someday we will spend our life in eternity. And we live in a rapidly changing world, and things could change for us. You know, we're here in America, and everything is, is good and easy, and we're not struggling with finding food and things, but things could change for us quickly. For our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, they're experiencing things that I imagine they had not believed were possible, food shortages and being displaced. And yet I am challenged that in the midst of that, they are finding ways to seek first the kingdom of God. I want to read a quote from CA, that CAM sent out. And just think about these Christians there in Ukraine and what they are doing in this time of crisis. Some of our workers inside Ukraine are, are involved in distributing food. Ukrainian churches are opening their facilities for lodging spaces. Our Ukrainian employees, though displaced themselves, have a strong desire to help those in need. They are working to purchase food for displaced people and finding ways to safely distribute aid. Food is becoming scarce, especially in areas of near the fighting. Yesterday, one of our workers distributed food parcels to elderly people in Kiev. Staff members in Romania are working to help refugees who are arriving in Romania and Moldova. They are housing refugees and purchasing food and other aid to send into Ukraine's war zone. They plan to provide blankets, hygiene kits, adult briefs, canned meat, and bedding. We are working to supply Bibles, Bible storybooks, and Christian literature inside Ukraine and to, Christian, and to Ukrainian refugees in other countries. Our desire is to encourage suffering Christians and to point others to God in this distressing time. Those Ukrainian Christians have plenty that they could be worried about. Food, clothes, and yet what are they doing? They are seeking first the kingdom of God. We draw to a close. I want to look at just one more phrase in this passage, and that is the promise we find in verse 33. And all these things shall be added unto you. He gives a promise here that when we get our priorities straight, when we focus on the kingdom of God, when we seek first his kingdom, then God will provide for us. He holds our lives in our hands. He can, he the one who gave you life is able to sustain it to the end. So in conclusion, I do not know the things that you may be facing in your life that may be causing you to worry, but a few things that we learn from this passage. Life is more than the here and now. It's, it's more important. There are more important things than that. Secondly, we have a Heavenly Father that knows what we need. He knows what we need for our lives. And it won't do us any good to worry about it. And lastly, it is worrying is a characteristic of is not a characteristic of the man of God, but rather of the man of the world. So God calls us to turn away from the sin of worry. He calls us to place our trust fully in him. And may God help us to not be consumed with worry about the temporal things in life, but rather to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness.
May the Lord bless you.